changes all around us. Some of this change is wanted, warranted, and expected, and other facets of change, well, are not. They're not asked for, not wanted, and most certainly not expected. Change creates a somewhat anxious, uh, a heightened level of anxiety. What is going to happen next? Am I going to be able to handle all of this change that, that is afoot? Or am I going to run in the opposite direction in order to try to hide from the change? For the past two weeks, we have been looking at change from a biblical perspective, beginning with Jacob being met by God in his unexpected journey of change. As Jacob was sleeping, he was met by God with this great assurance as God proclaimed to him, I am the God of your ancestors and the God of you. I am with you and will be with you wherever you go. And last week we came to understand how God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our times of need and in our times of trouble. God is there for us in the midst of change and in the midst of uncertainty. God is the stronghold of our lives in all times and in all places. Even during times of change and even during seasons of unsettledness, God is with us. Today we are met by a biblical character that is all too real in comparison to us. You know the story pretty well. Because I know Pastor Rob and Pastor Monica preached a series on on this character, on, on this guy, almost nine months ago now. But it's good for a little refresher every now and then. But before we begin, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we are thankful people as we come into worship this day. So God, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and open our minds to the hearing and to the reading uh, of of all things this day, especially the scripture. Illuminate Illuminate us so that we can continue to serve you and serve one another, to go to the places that you have called us to go, and to preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. So God, we pray, illuminate our hearts magnify our lives so that we can better follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our rock and our redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. There's a story about a man who is asked by God to do something. And instead, the man runs the other way. Do you know what story I'm talking about? Well, maybe this will help. This man, after fleeing from God, gets thrown off of a ship and gets swallowed by a a huge fish. Ah, now you know what story I'm talking about, right? If not, maybe you skipped that day in your first grade Sunday school class. It's Jonah. Specifically today, we are going to take a look at the change happening in Jonah's life, especially in chapter 3. Today's scripture comes from Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. 
And he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. No human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said would bring upon them. And he did not do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the earlier part of Jonah's story, the word of the Lord came to him and told him to go to Nineveh to tell the Ninevites that their wickedness had come before God. And Jonah did what we so often do when we are tasked to confront something or someone, especially when that is going to bring about some change. We run. We run in the other direction, and we even try to create some kind of opposition. But Jonah, he didn't only run away down the street or or in the opposite direction. He hopped on a ship, and he went to the farthest point from Nineveh that he could go. Jonah went to Tarshish. No, Jonah did not want to go and tell the Ninevites that their wickedness had created a stench before God. Instead, Jonah wanted to see the Ninevites and all of Nineveh burned to the ground. Nineveh was home to a group of people called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians and Jonah's people, the Israelites, they were enemies. They had friction with one another. The Assyrians were a a powerhouse in ancient Israel, and they had oppressed the Israelites for many, many decades. And so Jonah, as he's trying to flee in the other direction, he takes passage on a boat and he begins to fall asleep. He begins to take a nap, and a great windstorm arose. The sailors and Jonah begin to, to cast lots, to draw some straws, to cast some dye in order to figure out who is at fault. And then the storm comes upon them and it, and it rages bigger and bigger, larger and larger. And wouldn't you know it, that the lots fell on Jonah. The sailors asked Jonah, who are you and what have you done? Jonah replied, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the sailors grew more and more afraid for their lives as the storm raged on even harder. And they asked Jonah, why? Why has this catastrophe come upon us? And Jonah told the sailors, I'm fleeing from God. And the storm grew bigger and bigger. And the sailors grew more and more scared for their lives. And they asked Jonah, well, what should we do? What should we do so that this catastrophic storm stops, ceases? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then the sea will calm down for you. For I know, Jonah says, I know that it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. 
The sailors didn't want to throw Jonah into the sea, so they they rowed as hard as they could back to the land, but it made no difference because the storm was too powerful. The sailors cried out to God, pleading, Please, Lord, don't, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. And at that moment, the sailors threw Jonah into the sea, and the storm stopped. And here comes the part that everybody knows, everybody remembers. The Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. While in the belly of the fish, Jonah had a a come-to-Jesus moment, a moment where we tend to stop and, and stop what we're doing and just pray, a moment where we slow down and seek God and seek wisdom, a moment where we are still. We try to be still in order to discern what God's will is for our lives and to ask for guidance from the Holy Spirit to carry out that will. In the midst of Jonah's come to Jesus moment, in the second chapter of Jonah, Jonah says a prayer to God while he is in the belly of the fish. He says, I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. End of the story. Well, almost the end. After the fish spit Jonah out on the dry land, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he said, now get up and go to Nineveh and proclaim to them the message that I have told you to tell them. So even as Jonah tried to run 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to Tarshish, God didn't give up on Jonah's call, even though he ran away. Friends, the beauty of God and God's call upon and in our lives is that it is an ongoing call. Resisting a call from God may may hurt us, but it won't hurt God. What is the calling that God has placed on our lives as Christians? To make immature disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world? And more specifically, as the people called Ebenezer, to transform lives through Jesus Christ as we connect and heal and bring hope to the world and to the Stafford community and to the church. And what about for each of us as individuals? What is God calling you to do and how does that change where you are in the here and now? When you heard the call of God on and in your life, did you follow? Or did you dig your feet into the ground and try to not be moved? Or like Jonah, did you try to run in the complete opposite direction, trying to hide and disappear completely? When I was growing up, I had the same problem as Jonah. One time when I was about eight years old, I was tasked with a great chore and it was an annoying chore. Any eight-year-old just loves to take out the trash, right? So my grandma had asked me if I could take out the trash, but I had just embarked on building the biggest, the largest Lego Hot Wheels Connect City that an eight-year-old could imagine. So, you know, I didn't really have time to take out the trash. But then she asked me to do it a second time. So I got up from the living room and I went to the garage and there I saw my bike. And I got distracted and I began to ride it. 
Meanwhile, my grandmother hollered down from the balcony and she said, Jeffrey, did you take out the trash? I pretended not to hear her. So she made this loud whistle. She puts her her pinkies in her mouth and just blows and, and it whistles so loud. And I have yet to hear somebody mirror that sound. But when I heard it, I suddenly I stopped what I was doing. And she asked me again, Jeffrey, did you take out the trash? I answered no. And I rode away like any eight-year-old would. Now, when my grandma would ask me to do something, I would try to make up an excuse or try to hurry up and, and ride away before she could finish her sentence. However, at the end of the day, when it was time for me to go inside, guess what? I would still be tasked to take care of that chore And then there was no running away. How about this? How many of us are guilty of running away when God asks us to do something? Or when we are asked to change some aspect or facet of our lives? I know I've been there many times. For instance, I I didn't want to leave my my home, the city where I grew up, to move to a small rural town for undergrad. And I definitely didn't want to leave my home state, the heart of America, Ohio, and move to D.C. for seminary. But I did. I did both. And and the changes in me and in my life caused, caused great Great furthering and great unexpected changes to, to produce and to flow and drawing me deeper into the very heart of God. Those changes widened my circle and they caused an everlasting impact in my life. God asks us to do things. And how often is it at the most inopportune times? Many of these inopportune times, friends, are, are mislabeled. They are not inopportune times at all because too often they are times when, when we don't feel like we are ready to do that, that thing that God is calling us to do. Do you remember how I told you that I would sometimes pedal away on my bike after being asked to do something? Well, at the end of the day, I would still have to do it. For Jonah, it was not a loud whistle, but it was a large fish. Whether it's me or you or Jonah, After pushing off what God wants us to do at the end of the day, at the end of the story, God still expects us to do what God has willed us to do. Even if God has to call us a second or third time to go and to do. As the story of Jonah continues, and you know it, Jonah went to Nineveh and told the people of Nineveh that there was going to be 40 days and then Nineveh will be overthrown. And as the Ninevites heard this, they believed God and they repented to God. They repented from all of the evil things that they had done and and that they were doing and they proclaimed a fast and and everyone, even the king and even the animals, they put on sackcloth and ashes and everything that Nineveh was doing was a sign of repentance. The fasting, the wearing of sackcloth and even the sitting in ashes. The Ninevites implemented these signs of repentance in their lives so that God would have mercy on them. They were going without food, they wore uncomfortable clothing, and they were, they were even marking themselves with a sign of despair and devastation. 
The king of Nineveh sent out a decree saying that all of the people and all of the animals of, of Nineveh were, were to fast and wear sackcloth and, and cry mightily to God and, and all shall turn from their evil ways and the violence that was in their hands. And here is my favorite part. The king says, who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Through all the fasting and wearing of sackcloth and sitting in ashes, the Ninevites repented and looked to God. And God saw what they had done and how they had turned from their evil ways. And God changed his mind about the Ninevites, about the catastrophes that he was going to bring upon them. And he didn't do it. End of the story there. Almost. God's decision was not the one that Jonah had in mind for the Ninevites. Jonah wanted the Ninevites blasted off the face of the earth, blasted off to kingdom come, so to say. Jonah pleaded with the Lord and said, You see, this is the whole reason why I went to Tarshish in the beginning. Because I knew that you, God, you were slow to anger, you were abounding in steadfast love, and you were, you were ready to relent from punishing But those Ninevites, Jonah says, those Ninevites deserve to die. You know what? Forget this. Just take my life because it is better for me to die than to live. And Jonah, being really angry with God, he went out to the city wanting to see what would become of Nineveh. This was an ultimatum from Jonah to God. God, it's either them or me. In response to Jonah's ultimatum, God made a bush grow and cover Jonah in order to give him some shade over his head. And Jonah, he was pretty happy about this bush and and pretty happy about the shade protecting him from from the hot Nineveh sun. But but guess what? The next day, God had a, a worm come and attack the bush so that it withered away. And God made a humid wind beat down on Jonah and the bush. And God even made the sun beat down on the bush and Jonah to the point where Jonah told God again, it would be better for me to die than to live. However, God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah answered, yes, angry enough to die. Then God said, in your anger, you are concerned about a bush. A bush for which you did nothing. You did not labor, you did not plant, you did not water, you did not fertilize. You didn't even help it grow. A bush that came into being in a night and perished in a night. By comparison, then, should I, God, not be concerned with Nineveh, in which there are more than 12, 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? In other words, who do not know what is right and what is wrong. That's where the story ends. For real. Kind of abrupt, kind of sudden, kind of quick. It's an abrupt and sudden ending, but questions linger, don't they? Questions like, do we run from things? Do we sometimes run from God and from what God is calling us to do? How far would you go if God asked you to do something like he asked Jonah? To what levels have you gone to avoid change when you saw them on the horizon? 
Over the last 16 months, we have been in a constant season of change with no end in sight. Some of this change was wanted and warranted and needed and expected, while other facets, well, weren't. Not asked for, not wanted, and most certainly not expected. But as we come face to face with this change, how do we respond? Do we quiver in great fear, not knowing where to turn? Did we dig our feet in the ground and try to not be moved? Or did we, like Jonah, try to run in the complete opposite direction, trying to hide and disappear completely? Or did we follow God, follow the directions that God had placed in us and with us, and try to do what God was calling us to do? One of the hardest parts about following God is the action of following, the carrying out of the command that God has asked of us. It means that we have to give up our own wills, our own wants, our own desires, and follow a way that is other than our own. Following God's that means that we might have to go to a different city, a different state, a different part of the world. When we follow God, we might even have to interact with people who are different than us. People who do not think like us. People who do not look like us. People who do not talk like us or act or love or even smell like us. Even as we go through this work of following God, The greatest part of all is this, that God has called us to this work, that God promises to be with us throughout it all, even through the many seasons of change. Thanks be to God. Amen.